I think we talked about at the beginning about learning to lament. I think in our churches today, um, maybe this is controversial, we don't see enough anger. Mm-hmm. So, or we see anger at the wrong things. Because I think when God looks at a world in which, you know, 27 million people are living as slaves and children are being trafficked for sex and, Mm. you know, people are being slaughtered. God is angry. God is furious and righteously so Mm. at some of the injustice that happens in our world. Mm. Um, And the laments actually kind of almost prod us and poke us and say, hey, (laughs) evil, exploitation, oppression, wickedness should fire you up and make you angry and make you want to cry out to God for justice. Hey everyone, you're listening to Captivate Podcast, the best place for theological discussions about worship, Christian ministry and mission. You're with Mike and Andy and this is episode 8. And we have a very special local guest with us today. Her name is Melinda Cousins. She is the first reverend and the first doctor we've had on the show, Andy. And she has done her studies in the Psalms, especially the Psalms of Ascent, which is 120 to 134. She's the current Director of Ministry Accreditation for the Baptist Churches of South Australia, and she has lectured in Old Testament languages and biblical studies at Tabor College. It's quite a rap sheet. What do you think, Andy? Absolutely. I'm still surprised that she actually agreed to talk to us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what are we talking to Melinda about today? Very interesting topic from my perspective. I hope you guys enjoy it. And the topic is, uh, we're talking about lament. And we're talking about emotions. We're talking about worship. We're talking about what it means to uh, express emotions in worship, but in particular, what it means to lament. So so the title of today's episode is Learning to Lament. So without further ado, we're not going to continue with our half-baked ideas on lament. We're going to roll tape on the, uh, I don't know whether she'd be okay with it calling her the expert but she's she's almost there i, I oh, think no. she i think she is the expert so yeah, yeah she yeah she's just blown our minds as we've been talking to her so we hope the same for you so let's have a listen to our conversation with melinda Well, hi, Melinda. Welcome to Captivate Podcast. Thanks for being with us today. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. So, Melinda, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do with your time? Uh, sure, yeah. So, I'm a, a Baptist pastor, I'm currently working for Baptist churches of South Australia. So, mm-hmm. my role is overseeing basically training and professional development of pastors across our movement. And then I'm also one day a week teaching pastor at my home church. So we've, we've got you on to talk about uh, the Psalms, in particular talking about uh, the Lament Psalms. Um, you've done a little bit of work, just a little bit of work in, in the Psalms. You've only got a PhD or whatever in, uh, in that. Um, can you tell us like, what, um, what actually got you interested in, in doing that and doing your, your study that you have in the Psalms? Yep, sure. Um, I think I'm one of those people who's always loved the Psalms. So mm-hmm. I actually learned the first part of the Bible I ever learned and read when I was six years old in a Sunday school class was a Psalm. 
Um, and then that was well before I became a Christian. Just That was my kind of childhood experience. And then when I became a Christian, found the Psalms really helpful as a teenager, just expressing my emotions and angst, as mm-hmm. a lot of teenagers mm-hmm. do, I think. Yeah. Um, and then in my own studies, I guess, um, I studied Old Testament was my particular focus. Um, and a combination of things, I think I had a great teacher on the Psalms, which often directs your, you know, mm. brings your study together. So I did some study for my master's with Tremper Longman, who's written a few books on the Psalms. Yeah. And um, that was just amazing and blew my mind. Um, and then probably the other factor was I went to Israel yeah. and heard the Psalms in their original language in the location of the places they were talking about. So some of the Jerusalem Psalms oh, in awesome. Jerusalem. Yeah. yeah. And I went, this is amazing. Yeah. Um, this is what I want to do. And so, yeah, that's kind of how it all came together. I had some mm-hmm. ideas and ended up doing my PhD, yeah, on a particular group of Psalms. But, yeah. 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 Awesome. Uh, Melinda, we want to talk about a topic that's, uh, I feel, something not, not often well explored in churches or particularly in worship, I mm-hmm. think. And the topic is lament. Or I might yeah. mention that before. The Psalms of Lament in particular. What is Lament? <laughs> what is that thing? I mean, how do we even begin to describe it? What, what's a Psalm of Lament? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the easiest way to describe it, the simplest way, is sad songs. Sad I think songs. you start simple to say right. sad songs, but that might make people think of country and Western music. So, um, <laughs> Which is not what we want. Not what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. um, Walter Boogerman, who's one of my favourite writers on the Psalms, he calls them the songs of disorientation. Um, yep. So the idea of the songs or the prayers that you, you sing and you pray when you're feeling disoriented, whether that's confusion, sadness, doubt, anger, fear, uh, all those kind of feelings that are messy, complicated um, mm. end of the spectrum, um, the pouring out of in response to that to God. Mm. That's my okay. simplest way of explaining. Do you, do you remember the first time that you lamented before Ooh. God? What was it like? Yeah, that's really, really interesting. Um, I think I... But maybe like a lot of people there, I think I lamented before I knew what lament was. So I actually think lament is something we we tend to do naturally when we experience right. brokenness and suffering. It's mm. just the cry that comes out. You don't have a word for it. You just do it. Um, so, yeah, I remember really clearly probably my uh, late teens, early 20s, um, going through the period in life when really what the, the path that I thought I was going down in life had fallen apart, had a relationship breakup and just, you know, what some people used to call dark night of the soul, you know, just mm. feeling like this incredible emotion. And yet I'm in a relationship with Jesus. How do I bring those two things together? So I'm, I'm feeling pain, um, but I still believe God is there. What do I do? Um, and crying out with that pain to him. That would probably mm. be the, the first time I experienced lament without knowing what it was. Um, and then since I've studied it and thought about it and, and learned it, I, I think found it really helpful, um, particularly as a pastor in leading people through lament. And really the first time I remember that, if I'm honest, was the Black Saturday fires um, in in Australia. It was about 10 years ago now, I think. Okay. Yep. Um, and we had this, it was on a, a weekend, so Saturday, Sunday, and, you know, 200 people had died in these fires and our whole country was kind of mm. what has happened. And we're going to church and singing the usual songs that we sing. And Happy <laughs> songs and all that. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit jarring and you think we, we can't just do this. We have to find a way. Um, yep. And I'd been studying the Psalms and starting to think about it. And so leading my church through a response to that of lament um, corporately was a really amazing yeah, experience. It would be the first time publicly and corporately I went, ah, this is what lament does and this is what it's about and this is why it's important. So you, you mentioned you kind of had a had experience of lament before you knew what it was and then kind of after do you think that you know like we all get you know as christians we all get kind of taught how to pray at some point in our lives whether that's as young kids or when we come to faith 
um, you know, somewhere mm. along the line, someone says, you know, you, you can talk to God and that's okay. Yeah. Um, but laments, you know, sometimes seems to be left left out of that process. Is that something that you've experienced in talking with people and and that kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I agree. I think we don't get taught how to lament. Yeah. Um, and so I, my own experience and what I've talked to others and seen about, there is a place for learning to lament yep. and teaching people to lament. So when I talk about it, doing it naturally, I think we do it when you fear, experience suffering and loss and grief, there's something natural that happens. Mm-hmm. But when you have been able to explore it a bit more deeply, maybe we've been taught and given some language and structure around it, I think mm-hmm. it's even more helpful. So when I preach on lament, I often say there are definitely going to be people sitting in the congregation who know what I'm talking about because they've experienced real brokenness and grief. Mm. Um, and, and hopefully for those people, I can give them maybe some some structure, some tools, some language around what they're already doing yeah. that helps them. And then for other people, it might be new, but why not get on the front foot and actually yeah. let's learn to lament and invite um, ourselves to learn before we, maybe before we need it in one sense. Um, and then the other thing I'd say is actually we all need to learn to lament because lament isn't just personal and individual. It's mm. also about the community and the, you know, Jesus calls us to weep with those who weep. So yeah. we don't just wait till I'm personally suffering brokenness to lament. I think there are plenty of things that I can be lamenting about and we should all be lamenting about right mm. here, right now. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That's actually uh, very interesting that you just mentioned about the communal aspect of, of lamenting. It's not just something that's personal. I, I always had this conviction and, and perhaps I'm way off or maybe it's just my personal interpretation that uh, the conviction being that, that it's so much easier to uh, experience joy and express joy in a community together mm-hmm. when it comes to lament and, and, and sorrow and sadness for me it's always been something that's very personal mm-hmm. and perhaps something that I don't want to be going through or experiencing publicly with the whole congregation so I wonder you, you mentioned the, the importance of the aspect of communal yep. um, sadness but how does it actually work do you find that sometimes for some people in, in, in a congregational setting it seems like it's a little bit fake when we try to lament together when there is nothing particularly yep. wrong in their lives it, it can be um, I think that's cultural so mm. I think I've seen um, in other cultures that I visited, that they're better at this, corporately lamenting, that mm. it is part of their common language of worship and their common experience. Uh, so I, I don't think it's a, a thing that um, is intrinsic, if that makes sense, to our human experience. I think maybe it's we're shaped by our culture and a culture says, put on a happy face, let's be happy together and lament right. in private. Yes. Um, and I think the scriptures are the same. The, the people of Israel in the Old Testament, they certainly knew how to lament together mm. and, yeah. in, I mean, Jews to this day, I think, are better at lamenting probably corporately than we are. But, yeah, right, so if we haven't had it as part of our experience and then we try to do it corporately, it can feel a bit fake, you use the word, yeah, you know, a bit forced. Yeah. Um, I like to use the word practice. So I love the word practice, one of my favourites at the moment, yeah. <laughs> um, because it has two dimensions to it. One, practice practices are things that Christians have been doing for centuries, the idea of disciplines, practices, habits, you know, that we are formed by the things that we practice. So having a go, um, doing things together actually shapes us. But the thing I love about the word practice is it's giving it a go and it does feel weird and it maybe okay. does feel a little odd and strange and unusual. Um, I use the example, I've, I play the piano and I had to practice scales mm. a lot when I was a kid and nobody ever asked me to play scales now. You know, <laughs> what was the point of doing all that? Right. But the practice feels weird and awkward and it's not quite real because you're not actually playing a tune, you're just playing scales. But it builds up your muscles and it gets you um, learning how to do something that then becomes really useful. Mm. So that would be my experience. And sometimes when we try something like this in church and it is new for people and it feels a bit awkward, we're practicing 
and we're building up our muscles and we're learning how to do something that we'll get better at and that hopefully will form us and become part of our habits and our experience of worship. Does that mm. make sense? That's, I really like this analogy. I think it's it's very helpful because yeah. I, I play the piano yeah, as well. Sure. So I, yeah. know, I know what it's like. But absolutely, there, there will be a time when it will come in handy because we'll experience pain or sorrow mm. and we will need to lament in that sense. And we've already practiced. We already know how to do it. Yep. So mm. um, can I just jump in with one more question and then Mike will ask his question because I know he wants to. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to ask this question. You want me though. this is going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I told you it was going to happen. Yeah. Um, so, and, and this is potentially something that we'll jump into a bit later when we look at the actual psalm uh, in, in more detail. But So is there a biblical, uh, practical way of lamenting well? Yeah, I, I think so. I think the psalms do teach us. Now, there's a breadth of that. And so what we're trying to do is take the psalms, you know, don't set out to teach us how to lament. They do it. They lament. And that, that's my understanding of how the psalms work generally. They don't teach us how to worship. They are worship. Um, and so they invite us to learn by doing, mm. by taking them on. Um, but one of the things I guess people like me and people who study do is try to then explain them, try to say, well, what are we seeing happen? We're invited into the experience, but let's actually step back and talk about how the experience works. And so a lot of people who study the lament psalms actually say, interestingly, given they're the psalms of dis- disorientation, confusion, sadness, they're often the most highly structured of the psalms, that there mm. does seem to be like a pattern um, or a mm. process that they take you through. So they do seem to be written with some kind of intention to lead you on a bit of a, through a bit of a process or through a series of steps that will help you. Um, so if we practice those steps, then we are learning to lament well. Okay. So, it's, so it's not just a random, I am so sad and I'm going to complain. <laughs> There's actually a bit of a, bit of a system. Yeah, there, a there a is a pattern. bit of a system and pattern to it. Okay. Yeah, mm. yeah. on first glance, I think they feel like that, don't they? Because what hits you in the face is the emotion, is the yes. crying out and the questions and the doubt and the anger. Mm. Um, but yeah, when you actually look at them, there are some really common elements that are in nearly all the laments, often in the same order, not always. Um, but this suggests that it's this kind of structural form that laments were expressed in. Yeah, so can you tell us a little bit more about some of the you know maybe walk us through if that's helpful with um some of that it's like a typical structure of a of a sum of lament yeah sure. um a couple of different people name it slightly differently but mm. the way that i've best found the kind of steps that the way that i've found helpful and that i've used for my own writing of laments corporately and, and leading churches through it um I'm trying to remember six or seven now. I have to see as I go through them. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they often start with what I've learned to call, and it's probably a better word for it. You might be able to help me with this. Um, scholars call an invocation, which is basically invoking or calling on the name of the Lord. Yeah. So the idea that the first step of lament is choosing to take our lament, our sadness, our fear, our anger, whatever we're feeling to God mm. um, and to Yahweh in particular in the Psalms, you know, to the Lord God, that that's a really important step. We're not venting to other people. We're mm. not choosing to call on another net God, you know, yeah. we're not looking to ourselves. We're actually choosing to take this to God. This is, yeah, that's, I think the premise of all the Psalms, but it's important to name with lament because mm. there are other things that we can do with those emotions. Yeah. 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 Um, secondly, they talk about the plea or the request for help that the Psalms of Lament nearly always will actually ask God for help, which mm. seems a really obvious thing to say again. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But again, culturally, I think really interesting because I think our culture, we're not great at asking for help. Mm. We often, you know, like, like to think we're self-sufficient and independent yeah. <laughs> and we can do it on our own. Um, yeah. But these Psalms would teach us to ask God for help, to actually cry out and say, help me, I'm in distress, I need you. Mm. Um 
And there's something about naming that, I think, articulating that, saying it out loud. Yeah. Um, and saying it out loud publicly even is a, it's humbling but mm, also important. Yeah, it's a very good point. Yeah. yeah. So that's the second one. The third one is what some people call the lament proper, the, the main part of lament or um, I sometimes call the complaint section. Yeah. Uh, Got to hear that word well. <laughs> <laughs> complaints you know, makes us think of like the complaints department or ringing up and, you know, having a whinge about yeah. the service we've received from some business. Yeah. Um, but this idea in the Psalms of pouring out their feelings, their emotions, mm. of actually pouring out to God all their suffering and uh, what's wrong, naming the problems. You see it not just in the Psalms. So Jeremiah does this a lot. Jeremiah is famous for his complaints where he basically mm. says to God, you know, I wish I'd never been born. My life sucks. Everyone hates me. My family trying to kill me. You know, just yeah. getting it all out there. Uh, Lamentations as well, you know, has a lot of this. So this naming of the problem, and this is, this is often the biggest section of the whole Psalm, of the mm. Lament Psalm, is just details of all the things I'm feeling, all the things that are happening to me, all the terrible things that people are trying to do to me. Mm. Um, and I think sometimes we struggle with that. We think this, it can feel a bit self-indulgent or a bit whingy. Mm. But it yes. seems in the idea of lament that that's an important step, that actually naming the problem, laying it out, um, being honest and authentic with God and giving him kind of all of that to hold Um I think for me it reminds me that prayer isn't just about asking God for stuff and expecting him to give it. It's actually having a conversation on letting God know how I feel, mm. that God is interested in all of it. Um, and it's also helpful for me. So I don't think this is the main purpose, but I find it fascinating that kind of there's some um, work in modern psychology that would say actually articulating and naming how you're feeling and what your problems are is an yeah. important step in moving on from them. <laughs> and the right. Lament Psalms have been doing that for thousands of years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so the, the idea of it being more <clears throat> like um, calling on the relationship um, between us and God and, you know, saying it's not, not about here's my shopping list of stuff that I'd like you to give me, but, um, you know, actually as we would with anybody else that we can actually see, you know, yeah. like having that having that dialogue back and forth with God of, you know, this is this is how I'm feeling, yep. you know, help help me with how I'm feeling. Yep. And, um, you know, we can do that, do that yep. with God as well and that's something that's okay. Absolutely. It's like that permission giving, isn't yeah. it? It's okay just to talk to God about how we're feeling and let him know what's mm. going on. And mm. it's interesting that analogy of how we do that with other people in relationships because yeah. there's sometimes that um, it's not necessarily a gender thing. It sometimes gets talked about it. But, you know, sometimes when you, you share with someone what's going on and mm. they try to fix it, and you're like, I, I wasn't looking for you to fix it. I just wanted you to know. I just yeah. wanted to share it. Yeah. I just wanted to yeah. say it. Yeah. It's not always about resolving some problems yeah, yeah. it's yeah. about listening it's to just about listening yeah. and that god is actually interested in that god just wants to listen to us and mm. like we're his children and he says yeah tell me what's going on tell me how your day's been tell me yeah. how you've been feeling tell me what's been hurtful and painful just let it all out i'm here um, to listen i think that parent child analogy is a helpful one there yeah if a parent just yeah. saying to their kid just just tell me what's been going on how are you feeling what's been happening yeah um yeah 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 that's really cool. helpful so applying everything that you just said, you know, the structure of, of, yep. of uh, lament. And Halfway the through the structure. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry, okay, yeah. well, then yeah, keep yeah. going, sorry. Do you want to keep going? Yeah, yeah, yeah keep going. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so there's, so there's only three, the first three. So there's a, there's another couple, uh, another three, four, depending how you count. Um, so so we, the, we, got, we, we are currently at what, three. The lament proper, is it? Yeah, yeah okay. so we had the invocation, yep. the plea or the request, the lament proper. Okay. Then what you often get is confession. Um, so this confession of sin, which is an interesting turn in lament. Um, mm. But it seems to me what's happening is by naming it all, by going through, like actually articulating this is what's going on, this is what's happening, this is what's people doing to me, often what you realise within that is 
oh, and I'm, I've got a part to play in this. You know, mm, so David mm. is a classic at this in the Psalms. He's like, you know, my enemies are trying to kill me and they hate me and they're fighting against me. And then you always see this switch in his brain and goes, oh, but I've also done some things yeah. that haven't been that helpful. I, so he's not necessarily saying it's all my fault, but mm. he's naming his own, um, his own, what's the word I'm looking for? His own sin, his own interactions, his own complicity in what's happening or his own part of yeah, it. Yeah, his part of it. Yeah. yeah, so that yeah. confession of sin happens. But interestingly, not all the lament psalms have confession and a number of them have instead um, what is sometimes termed an assertion of innocence. So where the psalmist will actually say, and I'm blameless. A bit like um, Job, I am yeah, blameless, I've done nothing absolutely wrong, Job. wise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, psalm 26 is interesting. It starts with this. It starts with, I'm blameless before you. And it's a bit of a jolt. You read it and you think, is this person claiming to be perfect? Yeah. This person's like saying, <laughs> I've just never done anything wrong. But I don't think that's what's going on. I think it's in the context of lament. They're saying, I have honestly examined what's happening to me, what's going on, and I can say that I have done nothing to deserve this. This mm. is I'm suffering righteously. You know, I think of this as the prayer of like the persecuted church, you know, saying we are suffering unjustly. We are suffering for our faith. We have done nothing to deserve this. And mm. there's, an, a, again, permission to be honest and say that and say yeah. if, that's, if that's generally where we're at, we are blameless in this and we want to name that before God. Mm. So it's not, yeah, so it's not a universal kind of confession of I am perfect universally. No, I've yeah. yeah, never done anything wrong. It's, it's definitely it's not that. It's more like this is happening to me right now and I've done nothing wrong. I've done why? nothing. Yeah, why is I'm this happening to me? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not complicit in this. I haven't, you know, I haven't got any part to play in this. There's, there, I've honestly found there's no confession to be had, if you like. Yeah. There is just a statement of I am suffering unjustly. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, I have so many questions right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that was point four. So That's you want to keep going? Let's keep going. Point gonna... five is the really fun right. one. Okay. <laughs> Everybody's favorite. Let's, let's keep going. Uh, so number five, most theologians and writers on the Psalms call the imprecation, which is really just a fancy theological word for cursing. So, because yeah. we don't like to use cursing, it sounds a bit like that shouldn't be in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> cursing in the Bible, yeah. controversy. <laughs> yeah. And these are the sections of the Psalms that people find, you know, difficult, but then yeah. they get skipped out. So I said before, when I was six, I learned Psalm 139. I was, I memorized it, but I didn't learn the whole thing. And I didn't find out for like 15 years that I didn't learn the whole thing because the Sunday school teacher kind of skipped a little bit in what she taught oh. us. <laughs> Because Psalm 139 is beautiful psalm. You know, Lord, you've examined my heart. You know, when I sit and stand, you chart the path ahead of me. And then at the end has this away from you, you bloodthirsty <laughs> evildoers. You know, I was, yeah, they didn't teach that to six-year-old me. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the implications. This is the cursing, the, um, you know, smiting of enemies and asking God to rain down his vengeance upon them kind of idea. So that's that's interesting. Uh, certainly if you come from the, the righteous suffering perspective, you think it's a cry for justice. Mm. It's a cry for, you know, that, that God would actually put an end to evil, that he would stop the people mm. who are causing injustice and wickedness. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, it's something I think we need to grapple with imprecation. It's an expression of anger mm. um, often and that's, there's another emotion for you, anger, and there's that sense of permission that anger can be righteous, anger can be appropriate. Um, I think we talked at the beginning about learning to lament. I think in our churches today, um, maybe this is controversial, we don't see enough anger. So, or we see anger at the wrong things. Because I think when God looks at a world in which, you know, 
27 million people are living as slaves and children are being trafficked for sex and, Mm. you know, people are being slaughtered. God is angry. God is furious and righteously so Mm. at some of the injustice that happens in our world. Mm. Um, And the laments actually kind of almost prod us and poke us and say, hey, (laughs) evil, exploitation, oppression, wickedness should fire you up and make you angry and make you want to cry out to God for justice. Mm. Is that because you think we, um, as as churchgoers, as Christians, maybe have a um, twisted understanding of justice? Ooh, in in um, just as a you know, larger <laughs> side, yeah, um, yeah, a twisted understanding of the justice that God. Yeah, it goes on about. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. And I think, again, culture is a part to play because mm. generally in our culture we are not the victims of injustice. Yeah. We might like to think we are sometimes. And sometimes yeah. we are on a small scale, but on a large scale yeah. we're perhaps yeah. more often the perpetrators of injustice, yeah. much as I hate to admit it, you know. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so we have a skewed view maybe of what that is. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah, interesting question. Yeah. Maybe we can yeah. come back to that. Yeah, we'll come back, yeah. <laughs> yeah come back to that. Um, yeah. I mean, a couple of the things I say, but I, I think, yeah, there's a lot of complexity around the imprecations, around the curses. That's a mm. whole topic mm. in and of itself. Um, one of the other things I'd say is I do think there there is a cry for vengeance, which we find really uncomfortable. So mm. if we're uncomfortable, if we have a skewed view of justice, I think we have no view of vengeance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's just leave that one alone and learn to pretend it's not in the Bible. Yeah. But yeah. what's clear in these lament psalms is that vengeance belongs to God. Mm. So while it might seem to us really harsh, these people are like wishing curses on their enemies. They're not actually going and enacting vengeance on their enemies. Mm. They're taking their desire for vengeance to God in prayer. That's what a lament is. It's a prayer. Mm. Mm. So actually by choosing to bring imprecation into a lament, they're choosing not to enact it themselves. And yeah. I think that's key. It's saying yeah. these people could go out and like try and kill their enemies and actually try and bring about justice themselves mm. in, a, in an unhelpful way. But instead they're bringing it to God and saying, God, will you bring about justice? Okay. Now, so, so do you think, sorry to jump in, so no, do, you, no. do you think they're hoping for that? Uh, imagination that they might have, like I'm going to go and, and you know slaughter them and kill yeah. them and exercise my vengeance. I'm, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to bring this to God yes. and I'm hoping God will do the same thing. Yeah, I think so. Is that yeah. what's going on? Okay. I think so, yeah. And I think that doesn't let us off the hook in that we, we might need to be involved in God bringing about justice. So I, I, sort of, I think it's really complex. Mm. But yeah, there isn't the sense that lament as a prayer is actually naming to God what you would like to see happen rather than taking action yourself mm. and then trusting God to either take the action or to lead you to take action. But the the prayer you know aspect of it at first, it's not just a knee-jerk reaction to someone has wronged me, I'm going to go out and give it mm. to them. Yeah. But actually I'm going to say to God, that's what I would like to see happen, God. Mm-hmm. Um, let's, let's figure out whether that's actually righteous of me to want that, whether okay. God's going to enact that. So I think yeah. there's a processing of it. Um, I wonder, this is my personal question I have, um, and I don't know if there's an answer to, whether sometimes the psalmists don't even actually expect God to answer their prayer. Mm. Now, I know we it's like, God, does God not answer prayers? Well, I believe God hears all prayers, but sometimes his answer is no. Yeah. And maybe sometimes they're expecting God to say no. It's this honesty thing again. They're saying, God, what I would really like is if you would just wipe those people off the face of the earth. And in the back of their minds, a bit like Jonah, like, I know you're not going to because you're a yeah. loving and compassionate God. But this is how I feel, God. I'd really wish you would just smite them all. It's like a, yeah, just like naming that. Yeah, Again, absolutely. Like, you know, this is how I feel. Yeah. You know, this, this is what I want to happen, but mm-hmm. it might not necessarily it be It might not necessarily happen. Righteous, yeah. yeah. That's, as I said, I think Jonah's a great example of that. Because yeah. he goes to Nineveh and is like, 40 more days and you're going to get it. God's going to smite you all. 
And he doesn't say anything else. Yeah. But in the back of his mind, and he later tells God, I knew you were going to forgive them. Yeah. Like, I knew yeah. you were going to show compassion because you're I a loving it's... God. Yeah. But, man, I didn't want you to. Yeah. Um, and so it's this genuine honesty in that, isn't it? Yeah. Just saying, this is how I feel. Um, and I'm trusting God to kind of mm. take all those emotions and decide what's the best way of responding and mm. answering uh, my prayer. So, yeah. Who want to. Keep going on the, yeah, the structure of events. Let's yeah, so implications we could yep. talk about all day. Um, so then, after the implication, uh, you're getting towards the end of the psalm here. So a lot of psalms end um, with either trust or confidence. Probably two different words for it, but mm-hmm. some kind of statement of trust. So they get to that point of I trust you, God. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether it's out of the implication or whether they're you know different, it's not always in that straightforward order. Or sometimes it's not an implication. But out of my lament, out of my confusion, my complaint, my sorrow, my hatred of others, you know, yep. all the things I'm feeling, I trust you, God. I have confidence in who you are and in what you will do. Um, and so it is this idea of prayer as, as kind of handing the situation to God and saying, I'm, I'm looking for you to show me what you're going to do and what you want me to do. Mm. Um, I trust you. Mm. Um, so I think it's a, it's a beautiful kind of turn in most of the Lament Psalms. It's just yeah. this honest statement of trust. And so would you say, like f- from a Christian perspective now, yep. you know, after Jesus sure. and having that insight, this is where we want to land, right? This is what we want to do at the end of our venting session lament yeah. thing, right? That, yeah, be... absolutely. And I think it, it is what the Lament Psalms teach us to do. They actually say this is where you get to. If you go through this process, this should be where it leads you to. Mm-hmm. Um, by enacting lament or by learning to lament, we get to a place where we're kind of almost, I, know, I think of myself as like the child or the toddler, you know, having this venting session in this tantrum and then you wear yourself out and you get to a point of, it's not resignation, but it is that point of trust and contentment. Okay, you guys understand this better than I do, my, your parents, you know, I'll, um, and so to God, we're like, yes, God, you've understood, you've heard my cries mm. and I'm leaving it with you because you're God and I'm not. Mm. Um, so that, that, yeah, confidence in who God is. Um, yeah, so that's, I think nearly all the Psalms have that, Psalms of Lament. Then the final step, not all of them do, but a number do, and a significant number, I would say more than half of the laments, actually then end with praise. Mm. Okay. So not just trust, but actually get to a point of saying, I praise you, God, You're, you know, and actually be able to sing songs of joy. And, and that can seem like a really odd end to a lament or a, a bit of an abrupt turn. Mm. You know, one, one verse ago we were calling down, you know, yeah. just fire, from, fire heaven. from heaven our enemies. That's right. And we were, you know, complaining about the depths of despair we were in and suddenly we're rejoicing and we're praising mm. God. But, again, it seems to be this, this is where the journey that lament takes you on, mm. that you end with these statements of praise. Um, not all of them, and I love the honesty of that. So sometimes it's almost like the, the lamenter, the psalmist is saying, I'm not, not quite there yet, you know. I'm, mm. I'm trusting you, God, but I'm not quite ready to throw my hands up and start dancing and yep. singing happy songs. Yeah. But that seems to be the goal. That's what we'd like to get to. Um, yep. And enough of the psalms take us to lament. Uh, sorry, enough of the laments take us to praise. To praise yeah. that, that that seems to be the goal. The goal yeah. is always to get back to a place of praise. Um, yeah. yeah. So you would say that the praise is then kind of like almost the end point of the journey of... Of lament, absolutely. Yeah. And that's how the book of Psalms works as a whole as well. Yeah. So even though there are some individual laments that don't end in praise, um, the book of Psalms as a whole, so there's way, way more laments than any other kind of type of psalm. Mm. So there's more laments than praises in the Psalms, which is interesting because the name of the book is praises in Hebrew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but on the whole, there's way more laments in the first half of the book and there are less and less laments as you get through the book of Psalms and by the end of the book of Psalms it's all praise Yeah. so mm. it's not just in an individual lament that you move from lament to praise but in the book of Psalms too you move from lament to praise so, okay. yeah. so the structure itself is a bit of a journey it you is. start in that yeah you might start in the depths point of despair and you, but when yes. you enter into the presence of God and spend time with him oh. you know it's almost like you cannot help but come out rejoicing good. in mm. who good. he is good yeah 
Okay, so um, taking everything under consideration, there's a lot of information there. It was fantastic, really good quality of, of, of stuff. Thanks for that, Melinda. No worries. I am wondering about practical application of this in 21st century corporate Christian worship, not necessarily yeah. Baptist, <laughs> but just anyway. Yeah, what does that look like? From, yeah. from my experience, I have not seen this kind of thing done well or right. at all. And, and mm-hmm. you mentioned that you know most of the... Uh, uh, most of the psalms are lament psalms yeah. rather than praises. Mm. How how many modern contemporary songs that are sad worship songs do we know? Mark, well, did, the didn't, worship we, leader? didn't we look this up and there oh, was, there was, was zero, zero in the top 150 CCLI songs? Oh. That's right. Moment. I can think of two that have yeah. been popular in the last few years. Okay. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's not, not, it's not, not many. Not no, many. And, no. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. So, so we're not in a, in a Christian culture in uh, 21st century Australia. We're not used to doing that. Yeah. We don't sing songs that express the kind of lament uh, type of thing. So how do we h- how do we apply what we just learned from you? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. and and how do we perhaps even create the whole liturgy, the whole you know structure mm. of the service around, around this kind of framework of yeah, if there is uh, an issue and you need to lament, feel free to do so. But then yep. we corporately want to arrive at a point of praising God regardless of what's going on uh, mm. together. How, how do we do that? How do we do it? Oh. I don't have the <laughs> one answer, but I've got some thoughts, certainly. Um, I think part of it is is the teaching on this, on lament. So yeah. to just do it can feel really jarring. Like we said, if we're not used to it, it's not part of our culture, it, it, we try to do it and it feels really odd. Now, that's, that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. Mm. But how do, we, how do we teach people? How do we give people a, an explanation and experience of it? Um, so one of the things that I've loved ab- about um, the church that I've been in probably because of my influence, but we've been teaching on the Psalms over the last few years um, and I've realised I haven't heard much teaching and preaching on the Psalms. We tend to use the Psalms rather than use them to teach from. Mm. Um, And so it is taking that kind of step back and saying, let's understand how the Psalms work and then do it. So we have to end with the practice of it and doing it, but we maybe need to give people some understanding because they they haven't had it. Mm. Um, So, yeah, teaching about lament I think is important. But I think having a go, we've we've got to start having a go. So... Uh, what I've done a few times with churches is to try to write a lament. So teach on the lament psalms like I've just done here and then using that structure, write our own lament out of our own current experience. Um, I think the psalms give us permission to do that all the time. We sing a new song unto the Lord. Yeah. It's pretty common in the psalms. Yes. It's not yep. just about praise songs. Actually, like, okay, what's your lament? Where yeah. are you at? So um, we've done that around very specific things. So when, say, for example, someone in our community has died, uh, I don't think there's any other response you can have but to yep. lament yep. Um, or whether it's been like a, a national tragedy or those kind of things. But then just generally lamenting for the brokenness of the world, you know, mm. lamenting for, for the situations we find ourselves in. Um, so I've tended to do that in a fairly structured way of actually writing out um, quite a, a, you know, a significant length lament, so as long as a psalm or even a bit longer, that works through each of these steps in a Christian way and, in a, you know, calling on the name of Jesus and laying mm. out what the problem is and all, all those kind of steps. Um, implications are always fun to try and write. Um, yeah, yeah, that'll be interesting. Yeah, it? that's that's been interesting and in a, in a Christian way um, because obviously Jesus does have a perspective that speaks into that really importantly. Mm. Um, but every time I've done that, the response from the people has been overwhelmingly that's you know that is so helpful they found it really helpful and practical um and it's building up that muscle that then gives people permission for it um i'm trying to think what else we've done um trying to then broaden that i guess into corporate worship i'm not a songwriter so you know so but how do we get our songwriters thinking this way um and do they i think 
what you just said before, when, or the way that you responded to what I said about the idea that lament ends in praise, mm. um, helping people understand that. So it's, we're not saying just write a sad song, like write a country and western song, just make us all feel sad. Yeah. <laughs> we're saying help us you know, move through this journey of expressing it and moving on. So mm. how do we equip songwriters to do that? Mm, yeah. Good question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Have you got yeah. any thoughts? Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's basically, uh, and something that you picked up on as well, it's just raising awareness of what some of our men are and yeah. how they work and, and mm-hmm. why they're important in corporate worship. Mm-hmm. I've, you know, I've been to Bible college, I've been in ministry for a while, and I haven't heard that perspective being mm-hmm. very explicitly, right. you know, presented. It's more of a, oh, yeah, psalms are there, you know, some of them are happy songs, some of them are not. There's a nation of Israel stuff. Don't worry about right. this too much. Let's not use Psalms as, as a teaching uh, kind of, you know, point, m- mm-hmm. more so, you know, something just tacked on at the end. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I, the first thing I would say is we, we need to, perhaps those of us who teach, we mm. need to do a better job at actually having conversations like we are having right now, I mm-hmm. suppose. That will be the yeah. first step. Mm-hmm. But then, um, I don't know, I, I'm not as, uh, you know, Singer, I'm not a songwriter, so I, I don't know how that would practically work. Yeah. I think it's just up to someone's uh, creativity as well. Mm. Cool what, that what, Yeah, what, what do you think, Mike? I don't know, you, you do a bit of that. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm just thinking as, as, a, as a worship leader, um, when I first worship led, I'm kind of a bit ashamed about it now, but um, you... It's a safe space. There's, a, there's, a, there's, a, um, there's a phrase that a lot of worship leaders at the time used to use, and it, and it was at the start of the, the service, and it was uh, when something like this, it went, um, you know, we'll all, all come into this this space with, okay. with stuff from our weeks and whatever. We're just going to leave that at the door. Oh, um, right. And yeah. we're, we're going to come into this space of... Um, of praise or worship or whatever whatever and, and it kind of the service kind of went on from there um you know add a few years to my life and whatever now um you know i'd you know luckily no longer say that but um <laughs> just just using the, the contrasts now you know understanding worship to be all of all mm, of life all and um the idea that um you know just calling to mind god wherever we are mm. you know is is our is our worship whether that's kind of in a structured devotional uh sense or just you know as we're mm. going about our daily lives um you know lament can kind of you know still fit into that mm-hmm. that worship space like how do we um use language then as as worship leaders, as people who are going to take the platform on a Sunday. Mm. Um, and then, you know, probably how much is appropriate being that the, um, you know, the Psalms are largely, mm. you know, more lament than they are praise, but, um, you know, like, is it, is it, you know, just someone getting up as a, as a pastor to kind of go, we're going, we're going to pray in a, a lamenting kind of way or, you know, it does, mm. I, I don't good. know whether that, Kind yeah. of sticks as as something that we should do, or something that oh, that's just the, what the pastor does when he gets up. But how, how do we how yeah. do we yeah. get the language yeah. that we're using um, across to our people in the congregation? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think there's maybe a number of ways. Yeah, I think starting small, like you know, we're suddenly we're going oh, that's. I think it was, is it Gungor, the singer, he tweeted last year, you know, 70% of the Psalms are lament yeah. um, and none, zero of our worship songs are. And um, got a bit of flack because people saying, oh, so you're suddenly saying we should have 70% of our songs should be yeah. lament. And yeah. I'm not sure if that's the right number and also I'm not sure that that's the point. But encouraging it, um, 
but starting in small ways. So yeah, I think there are ways we can in it, like say our language. So yep. I, I would have said the same thing when I first started worship leaving, leading. It's like, let's leave everything at the door and just yeah. focus on praising God. Yeah. Um, and there's a time and a place for that, but that's not the breadth of worship that mm. the Psalms and the scriptures invite us into. Um, so yeah, how do we get our language um, to, to be about God meeting us in the midst of everything that where we are at, where our world is at, all mm. those places. So I think there's a ways of doing it within a service, broader than just music. So you talked about songwriting, but uh, prayers, um, liturgy is the word before, mm. but in elements of there are some traditions and they're not mine, but I love them, mm. <laughs> um, around lament that I found really helpful. Um, so the last couple of years I've been going to a couple of services in a different tradition to mine, uh, so Ash Wednesday service, the imposition of the ashes, that's a lament service. Mm. Uh, the service of the shadows, the tenebrae service at Easter time, that is one of the most powerful experiences of the men I've ever had where the service gets darker and darker um, mm. as we enter into the lament of Jesus and yep. his suffering. Um, so there are particular times we held at my church last year, we did a blue Christmas service, which was essentially a service of lament. That's in fact what we called it, blue Christmas, a service of lament. Mm. Um, and blue Christmas is the idea that, uh, well, Christmas is generally a happy time. Actually, if you're experiencing pain and suffering, it's one of the hardest times of the year. Mm. And so a space for people to come and name that. Um, and we didn't do any singing in that service, interestingly. Uh, we listened to some music mm. and we lit candles. So we had candles representing different experiences of pain and suffering. Uh, we read scriptures around them. We prayed. We each lit an individual candle to kind of hand over our own suffering mm. to God. Uh, and we spent time in silence and reflection. Mm. Um, and that was, again, really powerful. People have said to us, we want to we want to steal what you did and I'm like yeah happy to give it away you know yeah. take what we did and do it this year yeah. um so yeah finding those places on the on the calendar maybe where it taps into lament quite mm. more more easily um yeah, can be sure. a good introductory way yeah. or finding ways within uh, our own churches and our own experiences I think one of the big ones is responding to what's happening in the world mm. so our worship services cannot be disconnected from what's going on in our world yeah and there is so many times when massive massive tragedies happen now not always do we find out about them or, you know, not always do they touch us directly. But how yeah. are we bringing that into our worship services and responding yeah, sure. to that well? Mm. So, yeah. 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 All, all sorts of ways of, of getting creative, uh, I guess, as well with, with that. So it doesn't have to be, like you mentioned before, yeah. that we didn't sing any songs yeah. uh, mm-hmm. during that Blue Christmas mm-hmm. uh, service. Even though uh, Psalms of Lament are songs of Lament, it, it doesn't mm. mean we need to... Sing no, songs all the time. Yeah. We can do. We can do other. We, we can have other elements that express yeah. um, lament. Yeah, apart absolutely. from singing. Mm. Another way that I found really helpful: <clears throat> physical posture. Okay. So I think the psalms, on the whole, all the types of psalms, um, there's a lot of physicality to them. So praising, you know, lifting up your arms to God or dancing. You know, there's a lot of body movement in the psalms. Uh, lament in particular seems to be connected to things like kneeling um, or even lying face mm. down before God, um, which, again, not part of my tradition, <laughs> not yeah. part of my church experience, yeah. but inviting a church to do that is really powerful. So, again, when we've done some lament stuff, we've invited the church to kneel together and to lament, wow. and there's something yeah. about doing that together, that, that physical posture um, that provides space. One experience I had, I preached on lament and we invited the church to kneel and we prayed a lament that I'd written together and then we just left some space. Um, and there was one young man in our church who worked um, worked in the space of disability and disadvantage and worked with a lot of people who were very broken. Mm. Um, and he was obviously feeling that and he came down the front of the church in this time of silence and knelt and just sobbed and mm. just wept. Um, and uh, it was 
so powerful in that somehow we'd created permission and a space for him to do that mm. um, and clearly to do that kind of on behalf of others. Yeah. Um, yeah. Think, wow, how do we how do we create that space? Um, mm. Because there are others who can express this in various ways. So how do we as maybe worship leaders and pastors create space for expressions of lament? Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. yeah, very yeah. good. A lot yeah. to think about from, yeah. from my perspective as someone who's trying to shape services every Sunday and, and do that. Mm. Very good. Yeah. Do you have any more questions, Mike? Or? Um. Yeah, one one of the there's one 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 more question, just a little bit a little bit more personally, and this is this is something you know, at particular times I think everyone comes to. Um, there seems to be there seems to be a bit of disconnect um, between you know when we are experiencing personal pain, mm-hmm. you know whatever whatever that pain kind of is, whether it's physical, emotional, or whatever, um, and then coming into a worship service. Mm. Yeah, you know, I often feel that. You know, I feel that most when I feel that and need to lead a worship service. Mm-hmm. That's that's another another question. But just in general, um, you know, a lot of people will probably stay home from yeah, church on, right. on that because it's it's a, it's not a not necessarily a, a place where they want to be. But I think lament kind of you know that does give them that permission. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, so. Maybe can you give us an example of you know uh, worshiping through the pain? Maybe mm-hmm. using some of this lament Ooh, stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, a couple of thoughts, and I'll try and get to an example. Yeah. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think this is where this communal dimension is really important. Isn't yeah. It? We've we've tended to make. Um, suffering and even grief, we privatise it and individualise it and yeah. say you experience that on your own and the scriptures invite us to a corporate experience of that. Yeah. And even to stand with others, the idea that I might be feeling joyful um, but you are in pain mm. and I actually weep with you mm. um, or weep on your behalf or lament on your behalf yeah. um, kind of idea. Um, I think that's that's really important. Yeah. Um, and so if if we are practicing that, hopefully then people who, when they are experiencing it, don't feel like they have to hide it because they mm. know that others will share it with them. And um, and also, I mean, I think also the one of the really powerful things about lament, might be a bit of a tangent, but is the idea that we can praise on other people's behalf. Yeah. So the idea that if someone else is lamenting, they can come and they don't have to sing the happy songs. Yeah. We're singing them for them, if that makes sense. We're holding them yeah. and they might just be in that place like those lament psalmists just saying, I'm not there yet. I'm just not ready to jump up and dance for joy. Yeah. But actually coming and being part of a community who is is an act of trust, is an act of yeah. saying I believe mm. in a God who is still there for me, even if I'm not ready. So this this. Permission is the word I keep using, I think, of creating space in our communities for that together. Um, but now I've lost your actual question, which was an example of... <laughs> yeah, uh, worshipping through... Through the, through yeah, the pain. Through the, through the pain. Oh, I think we have to model it as leaders probably first, don't we? Yeah. So how do we yeah. let people see our, um, our own suffering? Mm. Um, and that's often the most difficult for leaders because yeah. we think that our job is to... You know, yeah, to be the one to carry everyone else's pain. So we have to make sure you know nobody else sees our pain. Be strong and all that. Yeah. Be yeah. strong and yeah, that. How do we um, allow the people? So I talked about before that example of um, Black Saturday with the fires. So we had a morning and an evening service in my church, and so in the morning service I'd led this lament. So I'd written this lament for Black Saturday for the fires and mm. led people through it. And it was really powerful. And then during the day on Sunday. I found out that I'd actually had a friend um, and her two sons who died in the fires. Mm. Um, so it suddenly had this personal dimension to it that there's someone I went to Bible school with. Um, and, you know, suddenly 
I'm in this, you know, completely different state that I was in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I probably had two choices. You know, one was to say, well, someone else can do the lament tonight and maybe I won't even go. Mm. Um, or I will step into it and I will actually share that yeah. and I will actually lead it. Um, and I did and I think I broke down and cried in the middle of lament and I didn't love it. Like I mm. didn't necessarily enjoy mm. being that exposed yeah, yeah. and vulnerable, but I think it was really important. Yeah. Um, you can't manufacture that. It just, you know, it's when it happens. But yeah. how do we, yeah, yeah, how do we lead through it? Um trusting our community and it is trusting our community mm. and vulnerability mm. yeah. it, it sounds to me like a lot of this stuff actually can be practically um you know it, it can be useful and, and meaningful and powerful when the community is uh, i guess smaller like i can't imagine yeah. that being very effective in, in a church of you know thousands where you're trying yeah. to um, give out a, a people space to lament or mm. even like you said before uh, melinda sing songs of praise for them mm. and with them because they're not quite there yeah. yet I think a lot of that, a lot of effectiveness of this depends on the depth of the relationship you actually have with the people. Yeah. Mm. And I just, uh, maybe I'm, I'm wrong, but I struggle to see how that would actually work in a larger context. Yeah. I, mean, I think you're right. I'm not sure necessarily about size. I think size makes it much harder, but it's mm. about that level of trust, isn't yeah, it? It's yeah. about that sense of if, if your worshipping community is a community that you just go and stand alongside for an hour a week on a Sunday. Yeah, I guess that's what I mean really when I talk about size. Yeah, that you, yeah. you to haven't do that. Got, yeah. yeah, so it's not... Just size, I think it's it's really you know. It's but if the, it's a community yeah. of people that you feel like you're doing life with, mm-hmm. um, and and you're in each other's lives and we're understanding what's going on, mm. yeah, it would be. So maybe easier. a good place yeah. to start practicing this would be a small group, right? Or like absolutely. However you yeah, mm, absolutely. It, yeah. yeah, that the best place I think. To yeah, start you, practicing you trust people. Kind of yeah, you have this relationship with them, and then mm-hmm. yeah, you can, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Great. Can I say the, the other example and or or thing that I think is really important to say that we haven't say, said. Yeah. Is where Jesus sits in this. Yeah, um, sure. let's talk about <laughs> let's Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. <laughs> yeah, let's be, be Christocentric for a second. Yes. Finish. Um, but I think lament in Jesus is, is you know so, something we need to explore more. I haven't done enough work on this, mm. but I'm always intrigued by it because the story of Jesus is a story of a God who enters into our suffering and takes on our pain and our brokenness and laments. You know, a God mm. who grieves. Yeah. Um, and so that is so powerful. You know, the Christian story. So you know, the laments Psalms are this Old Testament practice, and you say, well, we're you know we're New Testament Christians, but the the story of Jesus is a story that includes lament. Now yeah. it it ends with victory. Yes, the defeat of death and the resurrection, and we. we want to make sure it, the journey is the same, that it ends in that place of praise. Yep. But it goes through incredible place of lament. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And so I think that's another really powerful part of it. So I, mm. I wonder um, where the place of lament, say, around the communion table is and around celebrating um, mm. Jesus entering into and meeting us in our brokenness and in the midst of our lament. I just had this thought, and you can you can correct me and say you're completely <laughs> off, Andy, but you, you talked a bit about the story of, of uh, the book of Psalms itself, how mm-hmm. there's a story, pro- progressive story, of we start with lament yeah. that we end up with praise uh, each uh, each psalm of lament well some of them have yep. the same the same kind of journey the yeah. same kind of journey uh, wouldn't you say that the journey of Jesus and his life ministry death and resurrection is a very similar pattern very similar and I would say the whole biblical narrative is kind Amen. of got that similar <laughs> absolutely it's not an accident is it that yes. these things reflect each other absolutely not and so then I want to push it further and say so shouldn't we try and perhaps um exercise a, a similar, well, ha- have a similar mindset when we come together and worship. 
Oh, okay. In terms of a, in terms of how the service is structured, perhaps, or Possibly, what we do together yeah, as a reflecting that, I think I think there's something in that. I'm not sure it works all the time. So, mm. the the danger of noticing a pattern like this is then to enforce it on everything. That makes yeah. sense. And yeah. that's what I love about the Psalms that even though we notice this pattern, it's not straightforward and it's not linear. So okay. the Book of Psalms, you don't pick it up and it starts with a lament and starts with all the laments and then ends with all the praise. It's much messier than that. There's praises in the first half and there's laments in the second half. But it's the overall story, mm. if that makes sense. Certainly, mm. the predominance of where they are is pretty clear um and so same with jesus story you know yeah. it's so i've got to be careful is my yes. I'm, I'm giving up but i'm i'm with you <laughs> i think yeah. it's it's important but with some caveats of we're not mm. trying to impose <laughs> a set structure but hey this is not a bad pattern to be thinking right, about right. that mm, yeah, that's okay. reflected in a number of places mm. i think the danger i see is then we say that should be the story of our lives you know and that becomes a bit triumphalist you know my life yeah. should be this story of this testimony <laughs> of you know i once was lost and dark and my life was a mess and now jesus saved me and everything is fine forevermore Mm, um, and yeah. we know that that's not how it works and that's yeah, not the that <laughs> whole idea of a good testimony being like you're in drugs and like yes. you know, all of that. <laughs> but right, you, that really Jesus is. saved you and now your life is so much better. Like, you know, it's kind of like, well, it's just as miraculous that you you grew up in a Christian home and you, you know, oh, yeah, Jesus right. came and saved you there as well. Like, Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then yeah. on the other side of it that... Um, you know, the, the traditional, you know, typical testimony we think it has to be is, and now I'm a Christian and everything's fantastic. Yeah. Whereas it's just as powerful a testimony, maybe even more so, and Jesus says it will be, mm. that we suffer. That yeah. actually following Jesus, yeah. you know, we walk in the steps of a crucified Messiah mm. and he said, you, you will yeah, expect, yeah, yeah. you know, so that yeah. that God didn't heal us and that God didn't save us from, um, you know, the persecution that we're suffering but was with us in the midst of it is mm. as powerful a testimony yeah. um, as everything was made right. Mm. Um, one day everything will be made right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, that's our hope. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I think we are slowly coming to the end of uh, of this conversation. Thanks so much for being with us, Melinda. Mike, yeah. any final words? Thank you. Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> awesome. Okay. You well, love that- putting me on the spot. I love doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, anyways, thanks, Melinda, so much for your time. We are going to um, look at a passage of Scripture now, and we'll we'll try and uh, sort of see how the things that you were talking about in terms of structure of the Psalms of Lament actually work in a psalm. Wow, that was a lot to take in. I mean, personally for me, uh, I love the fact that Melinda highlighted that the Psalms bring us into that community mindset. We can't come to you know, church as Christians, if that's what we do on a Sunday, um, and just you know, be in our personal silos, um, kind of just engaging with God you know, in you know, the same as we do in our you know, personal devotional time or whatever, but we actually get drawn into the community um, to worship, you know, for ourselves on behalf of other people or just, you know, in, in light of what's going on in our culture around the world and all of that kind of stuff. What do you get out of it, Andy? Yeah, I agree with you, Mike, and I think one of the biggest takeaways uh, for me was the fact that it's actually okay mm. to be in a community with your brothers and sisters and um, express emotions and it doesn't always have to be joy. Yeah. Sometimes it is lament because we do have things that are impacting us 
in a way that is the exact opposite to, to joy. You know, I can mm. think of uh, a few situations that happened to me recently that, you know, coming to church and, and singing and, and being joyful and clapping is the last thing I want to do. Mm. I actually want to lament. I actually want to cry out to God and tell Him about everything that I'm experiencing and everything that I'm feeling. And, uh, you know, it's really surprising when we actually study Psalms and, and what Melinda explained to us so well. It's surprising that it, God is okay with that. You know, yeah. I, I don't think we do enough teaching about this. Mm. I think we have a tendency, and I'm not saying that Christian leaders are doing this on purpose, but we just have a tendency, I think, to, to emphasize um, you know, being joyful. And there is this phrase that you used in the conversation, uh, the phrase that you used to use when you were a worship leader. And you said, um, you, you used to say, you know, when you come to church, like we're going to leave all the worries behind at the foot yeah. of the cross or whatever, and we're just going to forget about everything that's bothering us because we come into the presence of God and we're going to be joyful. We have a tendency to emphasize this, yeah. But it's it doesn't have to be this way. Because I think we do, yeah. Just generally in culture, we do joy in public, but we do sorrow yes. in, in private. Yeah. And yeah, I think the Psalms definitely highlight the fact that that doesn't have to be the case, and it's, mm. it shouldn't really be the case. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there, there is certain, I think, level of authenticity as well as a community where. You can. You don't have to hide uh, what you're feeling, mm. and you can just honestly come, uh, you know, before God, either by yourself or with His people, and and say all this stuff. And then hopefully that sets you on a journey, and your your arrival point is actually, in fact, still trust and praise, mm. which is what Melinda was highlighting as well. Yeah. A lot of content in this conversation, a lot of depth. Um, mm. I really enjoyed it, uh, and yeah. I really hope that's. Some of you, all of you will, will get a lot out of it. Yeah. And um, we actually spent, this is the end of our uh, podcast episode, but we actually spent a little bit of time uh, with Melinda in Psalm 22, uh, where we just kind of highlighted this was the psalm that Jesus uh, kind of uses on the, the cross and, yeah, yeah. and refers to on the cross. Um, we just asked Melinda to um, yeah go through it with us and um, show us some of the the structure that uh, she was talking about in this episode. So if you would like to get access to that, that will be available for our Patreons. Uh, Patreon is a page we've got set up uh, where you can uh, support us financially and what we're we're doing here, um, creating uh, content for you that's hopefully helpful. Um, But um, yeah, some of this stuff is... Uh, a bit expensive for us it's not necessarily a, a free thing that we are able to do um, so we'd appreciate yeah if you if you want to know uh, more and dive into this a little bit deeper and have a practical example head over to patreon um, and um, yeah support us in that way and you'll be able to get access to melinda's uh, psalm 22 uh, little study that we did with her the other thing we need to remind everybody about is we have still have two books we're giving away in the month of June. Uh, we have uh, Christie's book, Doing It Solo, and also a copy of Jeremy's book, What Is Hell? Uh, both of those books are available in a little bit of a competition that we have running. Uh, all you guys need to do is uh, like and send us a review on one of the places that you find us so facebook is one of the places you can do that on our page 
on iTunes, uh, or if you prefer, you can send uh, a review privately uh, to contact at captivatepodcast.com um, and you'll all go into the running to win one of those two books which will be drawn at the end of June. Awesome. Okay, so before we finish, let me just mention a few things. Um, there is a Facebook discussion group that we have created for you guys and this discussion group is basically um, uh, created to give you an opportunity to discuss uh, further the topics that we are discussing here on the podcast so I think there's this few posts there and some of you uh, already engaged and commented um, on the topic of hell and also uh, what's the other topic I'm trying to remember Mike oh it's I think the interview with Dan Kent on confident humility yeah. so uh, uh, feel free to join this group it's it's open to public it's just a Captivate podcast discussion group you can find that link on our Facebook page mm-hmm. um but yeah, feel free to engage. Some of our guests are actually also part of the discussion group, which I think is pretty cool because it gives you an opportunity to really uh, directly engage with the authors of the books that we're discussing or even just guests. And that's doesn't happen often, I think. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and if you've got a burning question, no pun intended, um, <laughs> oh. if you've got a burning question that we didn't ask on the podcast, you can feel free to uh, post it uh, as a comment um, and hopefully um, either you know, the person that it's aimed at uh, will respond or we can try and get that answered for you if they're not part of the group um, that's, so right. that's available to you as well that's right yep yeah. so Facebook discussion group if you want to dive a bit deeper uh Make sure you join and then there'll be all sorts of things for you to pick up on as well. Final thing, and Mike mentioned this already, uh, if you enjoy uh, this podcast and if the topics that we are uh, talking about, if you, if you find them interesting and engaging, we would really appreciate your feedback and also your reviews. Uh, having reviews on iTunes and uh, Facebook and other platforms uh, gives us an opportunity to grow and to reach more people and also makes us a bit more visible online as well. So if you um, if you appreciate what you're listening to and you want to help us out uh, a bit more, but you're not ready to perhaps commit to helping us financially, uh, leaving us a review, five-star review, and a, and a quick comment is it goes a long way. So we really yeah. would appreciate that. Uh, if you have questions about theology and some of the content and you're not fully convinced this is something that you agree with perhaps, or if you just don't really like us <laughs> uh, we still want to get in touch with you and we will still appreciate your feedback uh, we are open to constructive criticism I think and yeah uh, we just want to ask you to, to still comment and get in touch but maybe don't do it in, in public maybe do it in private you can send us an email on contact at captivatepodcast.com yeah. or even just a private message on Facebook I think that would be good as well mm. uh, if you have any questions we are here to respond to you and engage and we would love to hear from you. Yeah. And just for those listeners in uh, who are local in Adelaide, uh, we have a Captivate Night coming up in July. Uh, we've just released a promo video for that on our Captivate page, not the Captivate podcast page, the Captivate page. Um, so do keep your eyes peeled for more information about that, which we haven't kind of finalized yet but will be finalized in the coming days and weeks 
because we've only got a couple of weeks before that event. Yes. But we're excited for that. Um, so we hope that uh, yeah, some of our listeners to the podcast can come and engage with that. And as always, we're going to uh, list all the things that we are mentioning in the show notes. So if you want to get more details about things, uh, just yeah, have a look at the show notes and there'll be, there'll be links to all the things. And, um, and all our social media. And all the social media, that's right. Cool. Anything else, Mike? Are we done? Is there anything else you want to mention? Do you want to sing a song or something? I don't know. Tell a joke. Um, my voice just hasn't been the greatest today. <laughs> I apologize. That's it's why kind I of... said that. <laughs> <laughs> but we thank you, yeah, for your uh, yeah listening to us and um, listening to this episode. We hope you got out of it as much as we did. Uh, we really enjoyed putting it together for you all. Awesome. Thanks and again. Until and next time. Yes. See you in the next episode. <laughs>